Hello and welcome to I'm Not Doing This Without Alcohol. My name is Denise Ferguson from Fine Surveyors and today I'm here with Helen Gould. Hello Helen, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Good, good. Thank you for having me. Awesome. It is nice to finally meet you. We've been speaking online for such a long time. So Helen, what's your business called and what do you do? So my business is called Hypnotherapy Works. I set that up back in 2014. However, more recently, I have kind of named myself the Anxiety Slayer because that's what I work with. I work with anxiety more than anything now. I still am a hypnotherapist and I still do a little bit of hypnotherapy side of things. But anxiety is, yeah, is my niche and what I work with and what I, what I help people kick out. What made you get into the business? I got into, well, originally I got into hypnotherapy um, through my partner's mental health. He began with panic attacks when our children were, well, they were under three. We had two boys under three and he started off with panic attacks. He went off to see a hypnotherapist and within, oh gosh, it's a few years back now, but within I think about four sessions, he was, yeah, panic attacks disappeared. It was like, oh, magical cure yay great so life got back to normal and about 18 months sort of two-ish years later he began with um, anxiety looking back now with the information that we have now we've kind of um diagnosed him with GAD which is generalized anxiety disorder which basically means his anxiety kind of is related to well it could be related to anything and anything and everything in life it's not a specific anxiety to one specific thing um and Fast forward a little bit, the boys went off to school. I wanted something to do and hypnotherapy. I thought I'd give that a go. And yeah, fast forward to where we are now. I have continued to add therapies to my toolbox. I do a therapy called BWRT, which stands for Brainwake Intensive Therapy. And it is great for kicking out anxiety, panic, fears, and phobias. So that is, yeah how I got into it and probably why I work with anxiety now as well because that's sort of what brought me into this world awesome I'm gonna pause you for a second and get my um, glass of wine Parker wine delivery thank you baby genius thank you say hello to everyone on the podcast hi hi (laughs) thank you that's huge as well have you seen that wow oh my husband poured it yeah it is hey, that is, an Thank you. That is love it. I know yeah I'll be fun that that he's just doing it so I fall asleep isn't he um <laughs> <laughs> great company oh, later no, no, please. um so do you is, is it specialist is it something specialist that you do now that's that's that you've created or is it something that you have been you know that's evolved from what happened with your husband and why hypnotherapy for him because most people would go to doctors or a therapist or you know this that and the other why hypnotherapy so hypnotherapy, he went, as I said, he started with panic attacks and they literally began in the middle of the night. He came downstairs at about 1.30. We had, as I said before, two boys under three. They didn't sleep. They were nightmares. So I was on the sofa, had just got whichever one it was off to sleep and thinking, oh, I better go to bed. But do you quite move them yet? Because you know, it's like, oh, I'll wait, just give it another cup. And he came down and said, I thought he had the other one in his arms. And all I heard was, just calm down. Just calm down, was all he said. It was quite 
me. So he came through the door and I was expecting to have this other child in his arms and he didn't. But oh, what's going on here? This is a bit weird. So he jumped in his van, took himself off to the local minor injuries unit. And well, he, he thought he was having an asthma attack because he does suffer from asthma. So that was where that came from. But as I said, he jumps in the van, takes himself off to, up to the minor injuries unit and they actually diagnosed him with panic attacks. So the following day, we eventually got into the GP. So he went off to the GP and GP said, go and see a hypnotherapist. So it was quite good, really. That, that they is incredible because yeah. usually it would be, here's a pill or you need to speak to somebody. Or So for them to even think alternatively is like quite unique. Yes. No. So yes, that was what led to that. And hence, hence we went online, looked for a local hypnotherapist, found a chap off he went and and away he went so that's how he sort of came up. and he is one of those chaps that would never ever have thought about hypnotherapy it would never have been something that would have entered his head to be honest he is one of those chaps as well and forgive this that would have gone just give yourself a check get on with life kind of a thing you know not understanding mental health at all obviously he has an extremely different view of that sort of a thing now and realizes that if he could give himself a shake and get on with it then he would have done that a long long time ago sort of a thing and um, so well, yes, and when you have other skills and techniques and knowledge and all of that you can start shaking yourself but you can't start from that position because exactly. because if you could have you would never have got to where you are so exactly. when people say you know, both sides of the coin. When people say, oh, you can't shake out of it. I'm like, you can, but you just don't have the skills or the techniques yet. And also you can't shake out of it. No, you you, you can't, or you, you know, you should just shake yourself out. You can't because you don't have the skills and techniques. So it's just such a, you know, I, I my ex-husband, he had a massive mental health crisis. You know, my current um, husband, you know, he goes through the, the, the normal, normal, there is no normal, but you know, the, yeah. what I would say, in my experience everyone goes through he just now has the freedom to talk about normal mental health more now because I know so much about it because I lived through it all and the same with me yeah. you know I, I don't allow myself the judgment and I wish this would happen with more people I don't allow myself the judgment of you know feeling bad about my mental health because oh. I think it's the same as my physical health and I just find that really extraordinary that people don't but then it was thrown at me so yes. viciously that I had no option. no that's a lie I was about to say I had no option but I did have an option I could either sink or swim and what I decided to do because I'm an utter research whore and we spoke about this before we came on the podcast was I just did everything to understand it as much as I possibly could that way I knew what I was dealing with I knew yes. what was likely to happen maybe ish or what was going on for him and yeah. having that knowledge and you must have been the same having that knowledge just made it easier to have it all thrown at me which was essentially what happened for years and even you know last week the week before my ex-husband rang me and he says I'm just having such a bad time you know I just need to talk it through and I was like go for it because yeah knowing that you don't need to be judged all the time it's so hard to put your hands up and say I'm having a bad time to have somebody that you can just pick up the phone at any time and say those words and there's no judgment is like fundamental and there are there are too many people that don't have that in their life yes we 
well, when he started with all this, I obviously had no background. Well, well, he didn't have anything like what I have now with the knowledge that I have. But I had, I was a radiographer, so I had this sort of a bit more of a medical background. So that, in a sense, he's like, well, you should understand this because you've done a degree in radiography, so you should understand it. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute, color. I might have a bit of a medical background. I have absolutely no idea about this. And it was kind of, in a sense, sort of left to me to go and research. A, because he just could not manage to do it anyway. His brain wouldn't have the capacity to do it. And, and B, because I had a little bit more knowledge anyway, I was more building on knowledge rather than starting at sort of rock bottom kind of a thing. But it was, it, it's, it's an absolute horrendously tough thing to see somebody that was running a business. I mean, as I've said to people, before I met him, he went off down to Australia on his own traveled on his own met he's a very sociable person to somebody that could barely get to the end of our drive bearing in mind our drive is probably about 20 meters long and our local town is about two and a half miles away and that was the massive like oh my god this is this is pretty serious but great thing about him is he does talk about it and he's willing to open up and he talks the amount of people that he's spoken to since it that have gone, oh, yeah, I had that too. He's known them for years, but had no idea what they'd been through because he wasn't the person that you would approach and talk to that sort of thing about anyway. And then suddenly he's now this go-to person that people feel that they can open up to and speak about and speak about their mental health too because he's very open about what he's been through and what's happened for him. And it is great when men talk more because I know you know everybody does but particularly men they need to open up they need to talk a lot more about it and normalize it and go yes I everybody has physical health everybody has mental health it's just a scale and it depends on where you are along that scale sometimes it's good sometimes not so good sometimes obviously pretty darn horrendous but that's the same with physical health as well and the more we can get around that the better it will be for many absolutely because you know I think I think you can start yes it, it's hard for men okay like universally I think we can pretty much say that it is really hard for men to open up but you can start with women and be an ally the same as you know align it with you know feminism men can be allies women can be allies if we speak about mental health openly about men's mental health openly in a way that completely normalizes it we don't even have to include them in the conversation and supposedly they will get there because our children our boys our our girls you know the way that we our expectations of, of people around them and how they speak about mental health will automatically change my children because of the fact that they were raised in this environment think at absolutely nothing about speaking about their mental health my daughter came into my room the other day and said to me mom I'm having a mental health day today and I was like okay darling I'll let school know yeah freedom for her to be able to pull that card whenever she needs it you know people like to say to me oh will she will she use it badly and I said but isn't that still a sign that she needs like that mental health day if she's pulling that out and saying you know I'm just gonna fake it and have a day off it probably means that she's feeling like she needs a day off Yes, exactly. And, you know, 
it doesn't matter what it is, there's something not quite right going on there. And as the, I think, is it the Americans that have duvet days or whoever it is, you know, and in a sense, it's the equivalent to just, I'm just going to have a duvet day because today is, I'm just feeling there. And it's allowing people to go, that's okay. And the more we can go, it's okay to have a pants day because we all have pants day. And this is something that with working with people that um, suffer from anxiety and we get them moving forward, it's that fear of going back to where they were and then reassuring them that anxiety is normal. We all suffer from anxiety because anxiety is something that is there and part of life to keep us alive. Mm. To feel anxious all the time and in situations that aren't warranted, that's a different kettle of fish. But anxiety itself is absolutely normal and a normal response to things. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the reasons that we got to know each other more is because I'm open about, you know, sometimes I do feel anxious and so many people reach out to me in a nice, kind way and say, you know, you know, this is what I do, or maybe you could try this. And then lots of other people were sliding into my DMs and saying, you need this program, you need this program. And I kept having to educate them and say, I'm not broken. Like, it's perfectly normal for me to wake up and sometimes feel anxious because you know, I run a business, I've got an ex-husband with huge mental health issues, I've got, you know, my own husband who's you know, lost businesses due to the pandemic, I've got, you know, teenage children that are feral, you know, it would be, it would be insane for me to always be like, I'm fine, when I'm yeah. absolutely not, but because I do have a very small public following, I have to say, I've woken up and I feel anxious because that gives other people permission to put their hand up and go, I've woken up and I feel anxious. And I feel obliged to admit how I feel all the time. If things are going well, I say things are going well. If things are going badly, I say things are going badly because it's important for to normalize all of these yes. different feelings and make them not so judgmental because that's just completely unfair and and you kind of reached out to me and just said you know there's a million different things that you could do but to feel anxious is totally normal to feel anxious all the time just isn't yes and I put a post out earlier in the week I said I had a wobble you know therapists have wobbles too we are all human at the end of the day I'm not this superhuman thing that never feels anything but great wow how much energy would that take to actually be able to stay feeling amazing all the time it's not doable even, it, hearing, you say that, even hearing you say that makes me automatically think about the future event of you breaking it, it, that's automatically what I think about I don't think about how amazing that is and how great it is I think about how unsustainable it is and how bad that break's going to be exactly you're gonna fall flat at some point somewhere the ups and downs of life are what they are and they create us who we are and that resilience of of getting through and like you touched on your children my kids um you know and it's it's a worry from your house point of view of, of have I damaged them well no of course you haven't yes they've experienced it yes they've seen it but we will, if they do have struggles, we will be able to pick up on the signs faster because we're aware of them. But also they will understand it a lot more than some other children because they've been through it. They've seen what's happening, seen what's going on. And like you say, it's hoping that they can educate the people that appears to them and go, it is what it is. You know, I'm having a bad day. Yeah. It's 
this is just a crap, like you said, a mental health day. I think that's great. Yeah. You know, ways of flag for children growing up you know understanding these things i you know i think a lot of damage was done i mean one a lot of damage is done by you know um normalizing men having to stay strong that i think that is very damaging i think uh, um a, a a person regardless of their gender being able to show all emotions and all side of them is fundamental because having to be strong all the time is uh, you know exhausting i'm an incredibly strong woman i constantly speak to my family and friends about how they have to remember that i'm not a robot and that sometimes because they all do it to me because they never that they're always like you'll always be fine and i'm like i'll be fine because i put my hand up and say that's got to stop that's got to stop and that's got to stop because when i don't do that i know i'm heading for a crack and i and i've been gifted that by watching my ex-husband crack and I say yeah. that to him all the time. You yeah. gave me the best gift ever because I didn't have to keep pretending that everything was okay. Yes. And as I say to people, every emotion we have is a valid emotion to have and to feel. The problem is, is that as, as children, quite often we are educated, if that's the right word, that negative emotions are wrong. We shouldn't feel them. You know, when a kid has a tantrum, we don't let them just get that out of their system and hopefully move on afterwards. It's like, oh no, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that. You know, when they're feeling cross, they're not allowed to. The only emotion that kids are allowed to feel is happiness and good and all that sort of thing. But again, it's not, it's not doable and it's not normal. Every emotion has its place in life. Some of them are gonna be bigger than others and some of them are gonna be more yucky than others. And that's life. That's the stresses and strains and ups and downs of living life as it is. As I say to people, it has twists and its turns. It has ups and its downs. Everybody's life does. Don't get me wrong. Some people's ups and downs are going to be bigger than others, but we all have them. And it's having that resilience to be able to deal with whatever life throws at us. And if we suffer with anxiety, then that resilience is obviously reduced because our brain can be triggered by certain scenarios and certain situations. And in some situations, we don't even know what that trigger is. And again, that comes back to the gap that, that um, the other half suffers with. Don't even know sometimes where it's coming from. We would, we would sit and try and work it out. And then we go, well, well, what if, what if it's this? But that was fine last time when I was there and that was okay there. So why this time, you know? And when it comes to the brain and the way that your brain learns, it takes in everything that we experience, but everything it takes in is to do with our senses, what we can hear, what we can feel, what we can sense, what we can taste, what we can smell. And that's how the old brain kind of, in a sense, learns how to respond to situations. And when it comes to learning a negative response to something, and don't get me wrong, we're actually only born with two fears. I'm not sure if people know that. We're only born with two fears, a fear of loud noises, a fear of falling. Everything else we learn along the way, a good, bad or indifferent. So a fear of heights, some people will learn that. And that's absolutely fine because they have nothing, they want anything to do with heights. But if you've got a roofer that's got a fear of heights, then we've got a slight problem there because he needs to be up and down the ladder sort of a thing. Hence why we all learn it. And some people will and some people won't. And our brain takes in everything that we experience in life, our old brain. But our, there's three interesting things about our old brain. It's no level of logic. It's got no sense of time. And it's working earlier than we're consciously aware of. If it had a level of logic, we wouldn't have the weird and wonderful fears out there that some people suffer from. I went to school with a lass that was petrified of cotton wool. Yeah, cotton wool for crying out loud. Exactly. You know, cotton wool isn't going to hurt her. But... 
she was petrified of it. And again, this is the lack of logic that the old brain has. It has no sense of time. So when you come, when you remember something, as far as your old brain is concerned, that literally happened a moment ago. Whether that happened 10 years ago, whether that happened back when you were three, as far as it's concerned, it literally happened a moment ago. And when it comes to it working earlier than you're consciously aware of, the classic example of that is if you step out in front of a car, you step back instantly. And our old brain is our quick brain, by the way. So you react to that response. You step back instantly, you're on that path, and then suddenly you have that moment of, that was close. You have that moment of, bloody hell, that was close. I need to be a lot more careful crossing the road. But your old brain reacts, and then that new brain kind of catches up with that reaction and goes, oh, shit. Hence, if you have a panic attack or an anxiety attack, the old brain has picked up on something and gone, shit, run for the hills, because that's often the kind of, you know, the fight-flight response that kind of kicks off. It's often the run for the hills kind of a scenario that it is. So it's picked up on something, gone, shit, run for the hills. And if you can imagine the old brain response, it's responsive to that about half a second earlier than you are consciously aware of actually what is going on in that moment. So that response of run for the hills is heading along all those neural pathways within the brain to wherever they need to go to, to make you do whatever you need to do. And as I said, they've set off a good half a second before you're aware of, which equates to about, it's about 50 meters of neural pathways if you're going to equate to that. And that's a good distance before you're in a sense aware of it. So to stop, a panic attack or an anxiety attack in its tracks, unless you've learned a technique to do so, is now on impossible. It is not doable because, as I said, the neural pathways are well and truly under the way, and that response is well and truly underway before you're kind of aware of what's happening, what's going on. So, just looking at those three parts, you can get hopefully people get a little bit more of understanding of why anxiety isn't just as simple as pull yourself together and get on with it, give yourself a good shake. Because the old brain is responding to something that it is actually seen as a threat to your survival. Maybe sounds a bit extreme, but the old brain, it's there to keep you alive. That's its job and that's its role, to keep you alive. And it will do whatever it can to keep you alive. It doesn't have the ability to go, oh, that was a bit of an extreme response to that spider, for example. It, you know, a teeny tiny money spider crawling across and you're running for the hills. It doesn't have the ability, it just goes, oh, there's a spider, quick. My reaction, my response to that is get out of here, run for the hills. And we'll just continue to do that. The reason it continues to do that is because you're still living and you're still breathing. And it goes, oh, that worked. It doesn't go, oh, that was a bit extreme. It just goes, oh, that worked. I'll do that again. And I'll do it again. And I'll keep doing it. Because as far as it's concerned, spiders are no threat to your survival. So, yeah, when you kind of start to learn a lot more about it, and this is what really helped my partner because... I can't work with him. You know, one reason to go out and be a hypnotherapist is because I could, I could fix him. No, no, not a cat in hell's chance can I fix him. We're too close, too close. And also, he's, um, he's, he's very stubborn in the way he is. So he's not kind of very amenable. And he's going to be less amenable to me than what he would if he went to see another therapist. And he has been to a therapist. But it's that I'll fix him kind of mode. I realised I couldn't fix him. However... When I explain a lot more about the brain and I say, that's your old brain reacting because of X, Y, and Z, he's like, ah. And it doesn't necessarily fix anything, but he, he has that understanding a lot more and can go, right, I get why that's happening now. The old brain has no sense of time. So it's saying, oh, right, I get that now. I, I understand. And that's what's helped him more than me, in a sense, doing therapy with him. I often forget that talking is therapy, but hey, that's that's just me. But yeah, and 
I think it's the first step to everything personally um because you are I mean, and this is no fault for anyone because we, we do it generationally now we children are constantly told to shut up I have literally just gone in my children's bedroom and told them to shut up like it is our automatic reaction and it's something we need to untrain ourselves to do and in, in certain situations we can in other situations it's our automatic response but when you are continuously told in every kind of anxious situation to shut up then you then train yourself to you know to tell yeah. yourself to shut up the other yeah. thing that came from what you were saying and I find this absolutely fascinating I've been doing um, some research into it over the years is I'm absolutely pe- I'm absolutely petrified of frogs oh, bless. my granddad was petrified of frogs and a few of my cousins are which we find absolutely hilarious and I found nothing ever happened to me and I you know never understood how I could be petrified of frogs when nothing ever happened to me but I'm loving looking into generational trauma and it makes perfect sense to me because we are born from the genes of our mother's mother and father and generationally the fact that trauma can pass down regardless of the fact that you were even part of it feels insane to me and some of the work, work some of the things that I've been researching recently is allowing yourself that time and that permission to not understand what why you're reacting the way you're reacting because it might not be your trauma that you're dealing with no it's true you might be dealing with somebody else's in your family's trauma and you know both my mum and dad were drowned when they were children and I find that absolutely like both they were no sorry that's a lie my mum was drowned at 14 my dad died mentally mentally yeah that's probably true but he he you know he was brain dead at 14 they were exactly the same age he didn't drown he was in an accident she she was drowned but they both had to be resuscitated and you know and that I whenever I'm reading about this generational trauma I I always read it thinking at what point will that come out in me or at what trauma or what responses do I get from that because that must be in me and my sister somewhere and the fact that we're not scared of water or we're not scared of it was a bicycle accident with my dad we're not scared of bicycles you know that would be really interesting and and neither they're not scared of water or bicycles so that probably isn't what was going to come out of us but the generational trauma I find fascinating because it's not something I hear enough people talk about I think I I I can't remember if this is 100% correct, but something a little while back was saying that they feel it could last up to about seven generations. And obviously it's going to reduce as the generations go on, but you just think... Only if they deal with it, though. Only if they deal with it. If you look at the massive, you know, look what we've been through now, you know, uh, know, and what everybody's going through now, is this going to now affect seven generations? You know, we go back to the war times. Again, you look at... So, yeah, it is is extremely interesting, that side of things. And I do kind of have... I don't know a massive amount about it, but it does massively. It is really interesting. And also, something to sort of add into that as well, um, a chap called Gabor Mete, I think that's how you pronounce his surname. I'm not very good with that sort of thing. But he's... He's, uh, bear with me a minute, he's um, a, a doctor, he's a, he's a Jew, he's originally from sort of, and I know it sounds awful from that way, I'm not sure exactly where, because I can't remember, but when he was in his, inside his mum, that was when the war kicked off, 
So you can imagine what his mum was going through when she was pregnant with him. The stress levels would have been absolutely through the roof. And he had to have felt that. And then he was born into war times. And I do know that for, I think it was about six weeks of his life, his mum gave him away because she was petrified that he was going to be killed. Thankfully, she was able to get him back and all that sort of thing. But you can imagine a small child going through all of that. And if we fast forward to where he is now in life, he, he, it's more recent years that he's realised he suffers with ADD. He doesn't have the ADHD, but he does have ADD, attention deficit disorder. He also has um, an addiction. He has a massive addiction to classical music. He was, he was, um, um, oh gosh, a baby doctor. Sorry, the word's gone completely out of my head. But you know what I mean? Thank you. And he has been known to disappear when women are in um, active labour to go and buy classical music. You know, he associates those two things together. Trauma, reaction, self-satisfaction. Yeah. He's now um, an addict, uh, an addict doctor kind of thing. And he works in um, Canada in uh, an addictive, um, he calls it a hotel, but it's like, um, it's like a clinic kind of place. And he works with people with massive, massive um, drug addictions. And he has, in a sense, a bit of an understanding because of his addiction. And like he says, an addiction is addiction, no matter what it is too. But one of the things that he massively says is you have to start with the kids. You start with the kids and you get the generation of the kids looked after and in a fantastic environment and you will have wonderful human beings. And it is true. You know, you look at poor kids and bless them that get dragged up, bless them through bits and bobs and they don't have the support and all that kind of a thing. You know, we've got to start at the beginning. You start with the kids. I have a really interesting standpoint on this and I, you know, and I, I might, I might be completely wrong, but I personally feel that we are all trying to do a better job than our parents did trying to, and regardless of it. And I know this isn't going to come out right, but I'll try my best anyway. Our kids aren't going to come out unscathed. They're just not. So the trauma that we felt from our childhood, regardless of whether or not it was an excellent childhood or a bad childhood, or there was ups and downs or whatever, our cho- you know, doing slightly better for our children or as best as we can with the situation that we're in and the knowledge that we have, we try to do our best for our children and they're not going to go come out of it unscathed. Mm-hmm. And I think that pressure we put on ourselves as parents is too much. Yes. Every single parent I see who is trying to be perfect, I can see that they are inflicting, just my personal opinion, inflicting far more trauma on their children than if you were just trying your best. Yes. I worked with a lady a little while back now, and she had, looking back, the most perfect childhood. You know, and, and this wasn't, you know... It was, in a sense, I think, just in a sense, by chance. She grew up in a lovely area. She never had any fallouts with friends. Little spats, obviously, but nothing major. You know, she got into teenage years. Everything was absolutely fine. She got into the latter half of her teenage years and she got with a chap that really wasn't helpful for her at all. Things went peaked on. Oh, my God, she had no resilience at all to deal with it. And she plummeted 
massively. And I saw her when she would have been, I'm going to say sort of late 20s and still struggling with the aftermath of that simply because there was the lack of resilience of life, life skills that just weren't there. And I think if we mother our kids far too much, that is exactly what we're heading for, that they just don't get that resilience they need to learn the resilience as they're growing and not have a massive, huge wham of a shock at some point somewhere into possible early adulthood where life suddenly gets turned upside down. Either that happens or they avoid life. Yes. Their whole adulthood. And I've seen that too. And that for me is more terrifying I, because personally, I would rather have struggles than nothing. Yeah. But we're coming to the end of the podcast. So where can people find you if they need your help? Okay, so you can find me on I am on Instagram. My handle for Instagram is Anxiety Slayer Helen. You can find me on Facebook. I have Hypnotherapy Works Helen Gord Anxiety Slayer. I think that one is, and you can find me over on LinkedIn, just under Helen Gord as well. And yeah, that's the probably the best places to go go hunting and go looking for me. Awesome. And if you're listening on the podcast, it will be in the show notes anyway, so you can find it there. So. At the end of the podcast, I always do the eight mile moment. So I don't give a shit what anyone thinks about me. I love Eminem. And I love that he does all of his rap battles by saying the worst things about him. He's skinny. His wife, his mum lives in a trailer. So Helen, what are the worst things about you? The worst things about me. Oh, my goodness me. Uh, probably because I don't believe in myself enough. Um, yeah, probably don't give myself enough credit. And I think it's a lot of therapists out there that suffer a bit with imposter syndrome might take better as time goes on, but I've definitely had a massive imposter syndrome in the past. As I say, I think it's getting lesser and lesser and lesser as I move forward. But I think being aware of your downfalls is really important and really, you know, and, and then you can use what you, the techniques and the tools that you have, whether I'm the therapist or whatever that might be in life for you, whatever that might be, you're aware of your downfalls and hopefully you can kind of work around them or strengthen them whatever whatever works for you sort of a thing so yeah yeah I think my top tip for the imposter syndrome because even I get it people don't (laughs) I don't mean it like that but people don't expect it from me I I get imposter syndrome all of the time because when you're moving all of the time you have to break through things all of the time so you have to, I personally think you have to have imposter syndrome because you are an imposter into that next stage of your life. Yes. No, it's true. And the, the chap that I've done a lot of his training on, um, he actually designed um, a BWRT imposter syndrome protocol to help people, obviously therapists as well, because he's very, very aware of it. And yeah, you're dead right. You're going to have points in life if you keep moving up that ladder where you're going to be stepping into things that do feel uncomfortable. And yeah, it is going to kick in. It's just hoping that it's just a little bit uh, or or not too big a bit. And then you can just kind of smash it and and keep moving forward. One step at a time is what I say. That always helps me. I think it's harder when you're taking massive leaps, which is what I always used to try and do. But little steps now keep me in place. Try to keep me in check. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much, Helen, for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been amazing. Thank you. Anytime. And as always, if anyone else wants to be on the podcast or you want to sponsor a podcast, you can contact us at podcast at find-surveyors.co.uk. Say goodbye, Helen.
Bye, everybody. Take care. Bye, everybody.